0: Hi, I'm Paul Cudahy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast.
1: And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs and lots of great Duran Duran memories.
0: From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015 and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021. The Duran Duran Albums Podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band.
1: We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record.
0: And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects.
1: So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast.
0: Morgan Richter. Uh, according to your Twitter profile, you're a writer, you're also a pop culture buff with uh, obsession in 80s films, Miami Vice, and of course, Duran Duran. Welcome to the Duran Duran Albums podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I am delighted to be here.
0: Now, obviously, I got in touch with you primarily given the fact your love of Duran Duran, but more importantly than that, the, the book that you wrote uh, your essays on the Duran Duran experience, Duranal- analysis, which I, I've already admitted to you for some reason. I keep getting my tongue tied with the with the title of the book but I have to tell people if you haven't read it then you should read it because it for me it combines two of my great passions in life. One is books and the other one is Duran Duran and it really rings true I think for fans that's why I, I think it for anybody who read it because you, you're obviously writing it from a position of being a fan and what the band's meant to you as well and I love the way you've kind of approached that whole Duran Duran fandom and the story of the band and what the impact it's had on you, I suppose.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's a fun book. Again, I was telling you before we started that it doesn't matter. Uh, duranalysis is a completely made up word. So please <laughs> feel free to pronounce it however uh, you see fit. I say Duranalysis, but that's that's just me.
0: Because obviously, you know, you've written and numerous books. I think on the back of this copy I've got, you said nine books. I'm not sure if you've you've written more in the interim period. I'm guessing this is this one would have been a real labor of love as well, given the fact that you you're a big fan of the band.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Duran Analysis is my only nonfiction book that I've written. The rest have been novels, and it is, as you say, it was a labor of love. I've loved the band for the vast majority of my life, and. I consider Duran Duran so important to who I was when I was young and who I am now. And it was interesting kind of mining my life to write that book in my how I've viewed myself in relation to the band. So it, it really is the book that I have the strongest emotional attachment to.
0: As you say, it's your only nonfiction book, but I'm guessing every, so every book that you would write, you still have a strong emotional attachment to it. Because particularly if you're writing novels, you're investing so much of yourself in each one of those books at the time so that you have a particular affection for each of each of them for any given reason
1: oh yeah absolutely whatever book i write at any given time is the most important thing to me while i'm writing it and then i you know finish that project and move on and and then whatever project i work on next becomes the most important one but even despite all that the Analysis book is always going to be very special to me
0: because obviously you've been a fan of the band for, for a long time at what point did you then want to to put that down on paper as it were?
1: Uh, in around 2011, I had a blog that I was writing uh, dur Analysis essays on, where I would pick a, a specific music video. I started with the Wild Boys, which is always going to be my favorite Duran Duran video, and just did a kind of a tongue-in-cheek but very affectionate analysis of it. and uh, And I would I would call that Duranalysis, Analysis. And I did. Uh, I think I have a total of probably 40 some video analyses that I've written up about that. And I just sort of along the way, I had done that for several years, just had the idea that sort of a riff on that idea might make a good book. I just, and the Duranalysis book is an essay collection and it doesn't deal exclusively with the videos, which my Duranalysis essays really on my website really do. So I I just kind of broadened that to Duran Duran as a whole and uh, tried to work in sort of more of my own personal experience and personal anecdotes instead of just a tongue-in-cheek, factual dissection of the videos.
0: I think I came across your book. I had read uh, Elisa lorello's memoir, Friends of Mine. And then I, I know that you and, and Elisa, you know, obviously I'd, I'd seen some interaction and, and immediately my interest was piqued when I saw that you'd written a book as well. And, and I love, that's one of the things that I've loved about doing this podcast is getting put in touch with fellow Duran Duran fans all over the world. But then discovering that people have, you know, it's more than just the fact that you like the music, the fact that people have actually written about it. And and as I say, as a fan, when you read it, there's so much that resonates because we all have individual experiences, but a lot of it is mirrored with each other because of what the music means.
1: Absolutely. Um, I know you've interviewed uh, Lisa Lorello already, but I will get in a quick plug for her book, Friends of Mine, uh, for anyone out there listening who hasn't read it. It's just a terrific book. Lisa's a wonderful writer, but when I was reading it, it, it had that kind of connection of universality with her life experiences that I was reading it going, oh, yeah, that I, I relate to this very strongly. Yeah, she's just a wonderful writer and she's a wonderful human being.
0: Now, in terms of your own Duran Duran fandom, when would that have first started for you? When were you first aware of the music of the band?
1: I was first aware in about 1983. I was nine years old and I first became aware of Duran Duran That was really at the time I was probably in fourth or fifth grade where I was, it's the transition from listening to my parents' records and listening to Beatles albums and Simon and Garfunkel to starting to listen to my own music on the radio and discovering Duran Duran around there. So the band were already quite famous by the time I discovered them, but 1983 was an awfully good year for Duran Duran. So that was a good time to become a fan.
0: Yeah, because it sounds like your parents and my parents had the same record collection actually.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of our parents have that exact same record collection.
0: To be fair, though, if you are getting that grounding as a child of things like The Beatles and Simon Garfunkel, that's that's not a bad foundation for appreciating music, is it?
1: Not bad at all. That's a foundation that'll last you.
0: Because one of the things that's really interested me, and Molly, who does the podcast with me, she's originally from the States, although she's now based in England, is how important Duran Duran videos were to the, them being established in the States and MTV. And, you know, you, you're talking about all those essays you'd written on the videos. And it was, I think certainly the videos were much more important, I think, in the United States than maybe they were in Scotland.
1: I bet you're entirely right with that. And I think that was the launch of MTV and that uh, MTV just when it hit in the United States was a huge cultural phenomenon, especially for Generation X. And we didn't have cable TV in my house. I would go to my friend's house and watch MTV and there were a lot of artists, obviously, who were making extraordinary videos at that time, but Duran Duran's were really something special. And when Duran Duran had a new video, that was an event.
0: Because I remember, uh, and I've, I've spoken about this before, of the first time Duran Duran appeared on TV. We had a music program called Top of the Pops mm-hmm, in Scotland. And it was March 1981 was the first time they were, they were on that. They performed Planet Earth, and that was me hooked the next day. I went out to the record shop and <laughs> bought, the, bought the single. What would have been the first song that you heard or, or the first video that you saw of Duran Duran?
1: I really wish I, I knew because I've been asked that before and, and I'm always very deeply envious of Duranis who have that thing where they're going, the first time I heard Hungry Like the Wolf or the first time I heard. I think for me, it, and I honestly don't know, um, Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio and Save a Prayer and they were all on the radio at that time when I was first starting to listen. Like the first duran duran song that i actually remember as a premiere when it just hit the radio and that i was aware of the band was wild boys so that wasn't until 1984 uh which is actually pretty late is in the development of a duran duran fan no i wish i had that answer where it was the first time i heard hungry like the wolf i you know was doing whatever Uh, and i don't unfortunately (laughs)
0: Yeah, as I say, there was so much that resonated in the book. But there, was so, there was so many interesting things. Hungry Like the Wolf, for example. That's I think that's the only Duran Duran, Duran song I've ever sang at karaoke. It's one of the, my karaoke highlights. Obviously, being a fan and in the benefit of, of some alcohol as well. And I think a loads of people have all have sang that song. The other thing that always interests me that we all love the band, but you know, people have their own favourite songs. And you mentioned the Wild Boys in the the video, and you mentioned it in the in the book as well and that's that's actually one of the songs that isn't one of my my favorites i sometimes i struggle with that song i love them playing it live i think it's a it's a song that's really brilliant live but it wouldn't jump out at me but again that's what i love about the fact that you can still love the band but within that you'll have your favorites now have have mine
1: i think every duran duran fan has their their own set of favorites and it it is a very interesting thing where it's so hard to pick favorites, but yeah, The Wild Boys would be my all-time favorite Duran Duran song if I had were absolutely forced to pick one, uh, just because I just feel it, it's stirring. I love the drumbeat of it. I love the the post-apocalyptic themes of the song that certainly go into the video, which is that beautiful Russell Mulcahy-directed video based on uh, William Burroughs' book, The Wild Boys, uh, or his novella. One of my particular favorite aspects of 80s pop culture. I always go for things that are 80s pop culture and post-apocalyptic. That's really my sweet spot. And I remember being a 10-year-old just absolutely falling in love with the whole world of the Wild Boys and just hearing that Russell Mulcahy had originally intended the video to be kind of a teaser for a feature film that that was unfortunately never made. And I was like, oh, that would be my favorite film in the world was if this could be expanded into a two-hour film. I still think that would be my favourite film in the world.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the other things I should say to people, again, once you have finished listening to this podcast, of course, is that you, you've you got a couple of series that you've done on YouTube, which again yes. taps into the, the kind of whole 80s film and that kind of pop culture. One is uh, called When Generation X Ruled the Multiplex, where you look at various films of the 80s. And the other one is... Miami Vice changes everything, and so I think probably people from a certain from a certain generation will really enjoy because there's there's so much content on YouTube that you've done. I think you know particularly people who would like those subjects. I think would really enjoy dipping into that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, the YouTube series has have been fun. I- with my uh, When Jet X Ruled the Multiplex series, I have two episodes on Duran Duran. I did one on their Sing Blue Silver documentary and one on their incredibly gonzo, weird arena, their sci-fi themed concert film, uh, which was also directed by Russell Mulcahy. So I have two episodes devoted to Duran Duran, if anyone's interested in checking those out in particular. But yeah, I just, I love the 80s and I love 80s pop culture. <laughs> obviously I had an entire series devoted to Miami Vice. So the 80s are definitely my sweet spot. <laughs>
0: yeah, because it's interesting. I just had a week in it. You know, that way you start to have a wee look through and see some of the films that I remember from, from the 80s. Actually, my my favourite 80s film was a Scottish film, Gregory's Girl. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and I think because, you know, that way when you watch a film and it's people that... Uh, are acting that's your own accent it's your own area you you recognize places that are in the film so i think for people of my generation from scotland and particularly the west of scotland there's a real affection for for something like gregory's girl but interestingly i was i saw a thing on twitter actually today the day we we're doing this podcast and they were talking about you know the film gross point blank which they were talking about was one of the best soundtracks
1: <laughs> yes Cause, that cause is they, a wonderful soundtrack yeah
0: because again it's like a it's a, a reunion School reunion and it's 80s, mm-hmm. it's like some brilliant 80s songs, songs in that as well. But those, some of those 80s films that you talk about, you know, Breakfast Club, Pretty and Pink, et cetera, they had some brilliant uh, songs and some brilliant artists that, that provided the soundtrack for them.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, a lot of the 80s teen films from the US, they started having these magnificent star, uh, soundtracks, the Pretty in Pink soundtrack that you mentioned. That's one of the all-time great soundtracks.
0: <laughs> the other one, of course, and again, just to get a wee plug in for Scotland, is The Breakfast Club, because Simple Minds do the...
1: Simple Minds.
0: <laughs> so I've always got a, a strong affection for Scottish bands, obviously. One of the, and again, this is a, a thing it's always interested me and it's come up in the podcast previously, and you touch on it in your Duran Duran book is about there being a big female following of, well, actually, I think what you say is guys hate Duran Duran. I was going to try and be quite diplomatic about it, but but it's so, I think that chapter in particular really resonated with me because I think like a lot of people that we maybe liked the band, but because they did have quite a big female following, particularly in those early days, when you're a young teenage boy, you were maybe a bit apprehensive or a bit reticent about declaring how much you, you, you love Duran Duran because it, at the time maybe it was seen as a, a girl's band as it were which is nonsense but it, just at the time when you're that age uh, which I thought I, I really loved that chapter in particular.
1: Yeah absolutely that's one of the things about Duran Duran that's always fascinated me is that they have such a strong female following and obviously not all guys hate Duran Duran that you know I, I say it tongue-in-cheek in my book it's a grotesque you know overstatement but um, that yeah that Guys tend to disparage things that women, and particularly young women, hold dear. And I think Duran Duran certainly fell into that, where it's like, Duran Duran, they're physically very beautiful, and they look great. And they, throughout the 80s, they would have these beautiful music videos where they would dress in those those Anthony Price silk suits, like on the the, the Rio yacht. And because there was such this strong, beautiful visual component of it, I think it was Relatively easy for some guys to just dismiss them as being all about that image and not the substance, not like a real rock band where you don't have to dress up and wear beautiful silk suits. So that's always been a shame that there's been that dichotomy between men and women on that subject.
0: And Because it was interesting, I maybe hadn't thought about it, the point you made, and you just made it there again, of sometimes men, maybe younger men, I don't know whether, or men of all age, they have like this it's almost like a kind of natural trigger a negative reaction if something is seen as popular with females, which is, and I I was thinking of it as I was reading the essay again on, I've seen loads of discussions, I'm a big reader, and quite often people are talking about a lot of men don't read female writers, for example, which I get, I think is just, I can think off the top of my head, half a dozen utterly brilliant female writers that if you're not reading female writers because they're female, then you're missing out on some amazing books. But that's a strange, I don't, I don't know why men would be like that? It just seems that you're you're dismissing something for completely irrational reasons.
1: Yeah, it it seems ridiculous. Um, My background is in screenwriting. I was a, a screenwriting major at USC Film School. And one of the things that is always brought up with films and when you're writing screenplays, and this I find absolutely ridiculous, is that male viewers are not expected to relate to or sympathize with female protagonists. But female viewers have absolutely no problem relating to male protagonists. So if you have a script with a female protagonist you have to go into it knowing that this is going to be a film that will be geared towards women because male viewers by and large are not interested and will not turn out for a film that stars a female protagonist. And I think that that you know I think that's a grotesque oversimplification obviously but that's you know the considered common knowledge in in Hollywood and it seems so weird and and so wrong that it, it kind of goes into that thing that female geared things are or female led projects uh, books that are written by women or bands that appeal mainly to women that it's expected that men aren't going to be interested in that and i find that so curious
0: what it made me think of is you know particularly in terms of literature is that phrase which is one of my pet hate phrases of chick lit that women who write books that's it's almost dismissive it's labeled and then so therefore it's almost saying to half the population that's not for you Whereas they don't do the equivalent for books that would be, I don't know what, the equivalent of chick lit, as it were. But, you mm-hmm. know, as you say, if a man writes a book, it's just read it or don't read it. That should be the case for anybody. Absolutely. So in, in relation to Duran Duran, I think that's, and, and I think thinking back to, so I was at school, I would have been about 15 at, at high school when they first came out and, you know, and then real really, they just exploded and they were this phenomenon and so all the girls in the year would have absolutely loved them. And so I remember being that teenage boy and really liking the music, but not wanting to go to school and say to all my pals, <laughs> you know, and the, that kind of peer pressure, I suppose, that as you get older, you kind of become more confident and say, well, do you know what? It kind of like similar to what you're saying in the book. It's like, I don't care. This, this is my favourite band. Deal with it.
1: That's one of the nice things about being an adult is you realize that these things don't matter. They never mattered. But when you're a teenager, especially, the opinions of what your other, what your peers like, what they think is cool and what they think is lame, uh, is just given so much undue importance. And then when you're an adult and you're a fully shaped human being, it's like I don't, I don't care if somebody else doesn't like Duran Duran. That doesn't mean I'm, you know, have to change my opinion anyway.
0: Because one of the curious things I listen to quite often at an 80s radio station in Scotland and sometimes songs will come on that I remember as a teenager, not liking. And I can't think of any rational reason why I didn't. It was just like, you know, that way you had to like some music and so therefore you, you had to dislike other music. And then there's some, you know, and I hear it now and I think that's a really good song. I don't know why I didn't like that at the time and can think of no good reason whatsoever.
1: Exactly. My sister is a couple of years older than me. And, and like growing up in childhood, we had very different music tastes where she was into heavy metal. And because she was into heavy metal, she couldn't be into Duran Duran. That just wasn't an option. And now as an adult, she loves Duran Duran. She loves heavy metal still. It, it doesn't matter. These things can coexist. It's not a problem.
0: Because I always feel that when you're a teenager, because music is one of the first things that I think you kind of go back to what you were saying about how you graduate from listening to your parents' records music's one of the first ways you can afford your own identity and maybe your own kind of group of friends you have and what have you and so therefore even if either in friends or in relationships people's music taste at that age seems it's quite important as you say once you become an adult you realize you know it doesn't really matter but at the time <laughs> at the time it does
1: yeah absolutely in grade school and junior high school and even up to high school you can be friends with someone just simply because they share the same taste in music and uh it, it really is that you f- you sort of find your tribe of people where um, music is one of those great ways of sort of when you're young, identifying your personality. What kind of person am I? Well, I'm a person who listens to Duran Duran. And then you seek out other people who listen to Duran Duran. And it's sort of a natural way of uh, forming friendships, but it also can be extremely limiting because it it shouldn't, you shouldn't not be friends with someone because they have different music tastes or that you, it's kind of. good conversation starter and it's a good opener but it shouldn't be what defines you entirely if that makes any sense
0: i suppose i always think sometimes even as adults we're guilty of you know that way because everything all art forms subjective so whether people like specific music or tv programs films books that's just your own opinion but sometimes I i find myself sometimes guilty of not, I don't know if judging's too harsh a word, but just sometimes if somebody likes something, say a TV program or a piece of music that I just I don't, I'm thinking, really, what is it you're watching or listening that I'm missing out?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I I remind myself that things are always popular for a reason. Like I don't follow professional sports of any kind, but I understand the appeal. Like if somebody is a big football fan, I don't get it entirely, but I don't need to get it. All I have to do is understand that they're finding something in it that is enriching their life and um, making, giving them a great deal of satisfaction. And that's enough.
0: We'll move on quickly from sports, given my, my full-time job is with a, a professional soccer club. so oh,
1: Very good. Yep, <laughs> yep.
0: So it is one of my other passions, but we'll, we'll, we'll definitely move <laughs> on from that. One of the things I was, I was going to ask, because obviously you know, your love of the band goes way back into the early 80s. But then we're talking 40 years, you know, 40 years after they're formed, which is one of the things I found wonderful is that, you know, your choice of who to like as a band can bring me in Glasgow and you in Seattle 40 years later together to talk about, about it. But the band, not only, not only in terms of nostalgia and reminiscing, but the band are still right up to date and bringing out new music as well, which happens to very few bands
1: it's wonderful. Uh, I love that it especially this moment that all of us Duran fans are in right now where we're we're waiting for a brand new album and we've heard some singles from this upcoming album and that's a, a very exciting time that we are in 2021 and we are waiting for a new Duran Duran album. Uh yeah, 40 years later. That's amazing.
0: Oh, so we're we're recording this on the 12th of September and I'm going to apologize for making you slightly jealous at this moment because in three days time, I'm going to see them playing in, in Birmingham live. So
1: Oh, oh, I'm so glad you're going. That should be a, a fantastic time. I hope you have a great evening.
0: I'm so excited, partly because it's the first live music event that I've been to uh, in almost two years now, given the, what's been happening in the world. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that experience and obviously getting the chance to to go and see Jiran. Um, And I'm, I've, Tried not to gloat about it to people who I know are not able to go. <laughs> um, but I suppose once hopefully once everything continues to open up, then they'll be on tour and everybody will get to, to see them. One of the things that, again, always amazes me, whenever I listen to the music of Duran Duran, partly it takes me back to being a teenager again. And then I think there's no way at the time you could even have comprehended that you know as an adult, 40 years later, you're still, you can still listen to that music, but then you're still finding fresh music from that band which I, I just, I just think it's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it is one of the wonderful things about the band that they really have just been this, this treasure trove that has for 40 years have been giving us new music, uh, which is just extraordinary. Uh, I worry sometimes about myself where you know, I ended a YouTube series about Miami Vice and I've just devoted thousands and thousands of words to writing about Duran Duran, but I worry about myself that I live too much in the eighties and um, that I, I place far too much importance on nostalgia, but the great thing with Duran Duran, it's not just nostalgia. They are a present day music act that as they have constantly evolved and they're constantly giving us extraordinary new content. And I'm really grateful to them for that.
0: I suppose the other thing is, you know, people who would have been like say grown up in the seventies, their sort of touch point in terms of nostalgia would be back either seventies TV shows or seventies music. And, and then people in the nineties would be the same. So I think it's, to what you were saying earlier on about, you know, particularly when you're at school and things that your music tastes important. Those are the things that, because it's so important at that time for you, that that's what really, you probably have a passion for that music that you maybe don't have for bands that you maybe discover in your twenties or your thirties.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that those teenage and preteen years, uh, the things that were so desperately important to you then uh, are still, you know, as a middle-aged adult, those are the things that are still desperately important to me now. And that, uh, that always still give me this tremendous sense of pleasure when I revisit them. And some of it is just that hit of nostalgia of remembering a simpler time in my life. In my duranalysis book, I talk about how I'd started writing my duranalysis essays. Uh, My mother had died and my father was terminally ill at the time. And I was just really, a lot of it was really trying to recapture kind of a simpler time. But it is the thing that, those are the things that that shape us when we're teenagers, uh, that we still carry with us until we're adults, and they're always going to be important to us.
0: You mentioned that uh, your, your analysis book, and I think that's maybe the first time I've managed to say the word properly, so I'm quite chuffed <laughs> at that. <laughs> the, that's your only nonfiction book. When did you start writing fiction? Was that something that always been important to you, or had been something that had been a kind of passion?
1: Yeah, it always had been. Um, I wrote, yeah, as a as a child and teenager i wrote a lot of stories and my uh, parents were very encouraging of that and uh yeah i mentioned before i went to uh film school for screenwriting and i really thought that screenplays would be what i would do for a living and uh yes i was in los angeles and i worked on some television shows and uh while trying to sell screenplays and i did that for about 20 years and never actually sold a screenplay. So I moved to New York and I started an independent publishing company and just started publishing my own books through it. And that was a lot better than with screenplays. If you don't sell a screenplay, nothing happens. That screenplay can't go anywhere. With book writing, my books are out there. They're published. People can read them uh, if if they have any interest. It was in many ways much more satisfying to me than screenwriting. And uh, there's just that feeling of being able to write something and put it in the world that people can see that's really satisfying
0: because someone said to me before that and this is one of the I think this is one of the the really positive things about independent publishing for example is that you know that way when you get an idea and and if you write you finish the book you just say you want it out in the world to people to read it so part of that is also so that you can then move on to the next project and you're not still thinking what am I going to do with this? It's not just a manuscript, it's in a book. And then you can then move on to the next book and the next idea because I'm guessing you'll have a constant source of ideas, but it's just being able to focus on them, knowing that that one, you've finished that and then you're on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, something so nice about releasing something to the world because, you know, as a writer, I I can rewrite the same idea forever. I think Stephen King has a quote that I'm going to garble because I can't think offhand exactly what he says, but that authors never really finish a book. At some point, you just you say you're done and you release it. And it's that act of releasing it to the world, like, as you said, allows you to start your next project. So when you have a screenplay that's finished, but nobody's ever seen it, there's that slight, something slightly unsatisfying about that. It's done, it's a finished product on its own, but it goes nowhere. Uh, whereas with a book, it's done, it's out in the world.
0: Another thing as a, as a writer is, I know I anything anytime I ever see my name on the cover of a book or anything I've done because it always starts as just the germ of an idea but where that comes from sometimes you don't know But then to see the thrill is always there when you see the finished product and your name was on the front cover the the kind of Mm -hmm. sense of achievement
1: yeah that's a that's a good feeling Um, I've done some ghost writing in the past uh, which is actually a a kind of a fun field to be in but that's always interesting because it's somebody else's name on the cover. So I have a partial sense of ownership with that, but it's, it's not quite the same as seeing your own name.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, that, we've, that I've been doing with every time I've been speaking to people is, and it's the difficult question of trying to get you to choose your top three Duran Duran songs. I always preface it with an apology of making you do that. And also uh, a disclaimer of whatever you say, Nobody's going to hold you to it. So if I if I hear you <laughs> in another podcast next week choosing three different songs, I'm not going to get in touch and say that's not what you told me.
1: <laughs> I'm glad to hear that.
0: <laughs> the in terms of so I was, what I was going to do is get you to just if you have your your three songs and then just even explain a wee bit of why. Uh, so what would be the first of your your three favourite Duran Duran songs and why?
1: Okay, well for today, September twelfth, two thousand and twenty-one, my my favourite Duran Duran song. As I mentioned before, it would be The Wild Boys uh, just because that one and everything about it just really, it spoke to me when I was 10 years old. And I am, you know, in my late 40s now and it still speaks to me. I've never, I've never, well, I don't want to say never, but I'm not Mm -hmm. that much into love songs, say, or uh, a lot of what pop music uh, has traditionally been about. I love that The Wild Boys is about wandering through a post-apocalyptic wasteland trying to survive and there's murder by the roadside and there's sirens for a welcome and it's so dramatic and it's it's got that pounding drum beat and simon's vocals are just wailing and there's something about the, how you know wild boys always shine that every time i hear that it still kind of tugs at my heart a little i just i absolutely love that song and i love the video
0: because that was one of the you know that when the when the band brought out anniversary then mm-hmm. and they were saying there was kind of I think John Taylor called it Easter eggs. There's just obviously wee nods to the songs of the past. I could definitely hear the, yes. the wild boys beat on that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That runs through anniversary and I was really glad to hear it.
0: Yeah. Cause it's obviously, that was just a standalone song as well that, you know, it's never appeared in any of their albums.
1: No, mm-mm, no. And, uh, but it just, I remember when it hit MTV and when it hit radios growing up in Spokane, Washington, and I was obsessed with that song, and I still am to a certain extent.
0: <laughs> now that would be, if that was number one, then what is the next of your your three Duran songs?
1: Today it is Electric Barbarella, which is another of those songs that I just always feel this connection with, um, I, and i I never know if I have my Duran Duran facts straight, but I've heard that uh, Nick actually took the point in writing lyrics on Electric Barbarella. And there's something about, I think, lyrically, it's very cold and clever, and it's uh, kind of this you know emotionless and cold as ice, all of the things I like. I, I think that's just a wonderful lyric. And I, um, there's something about it where it harkens back to, obviously, the... 1968 Roger Vadim, Roger Vadim film Barbarella, which is how the band got their name. And it kind of has this oversexed, but uh, but at the same time, sort of clinical robotic feel to the whole song. And then that's another one that it has that great uh, Ellen Von Unwerth directed video where it's, I, I think Duran Duran's always good when they kind of lean into slightly that sleazy side and that's electric Barbarella is definitely pushing the sleazy buttons and I think that they kind of work in their groove really well with that um I think it's just it's also because uh when it came out what was that 1998 Duran Duran had kind of slipped off the radar for me a little I was I was out of college by that point and I was working in television and then I heard electric Barbarella and I, I loved all of Madazzaland and I just was like okay that's right. Grand Rant are my favorite band. I think I'd forgotten for a few years, but now I remembered. this is, this is the band that I love and is so important to me.
0: As you said, I, I love that the be nod to where they got the, the film that they got their name from. But actually, because I, I think, and again, just having listened back through the albums in the course of preparing for these podcasts, because I, I think Madazaland is maybe it's really underrated. And I think there's almost like a perception of that was when they'd lost their way, because obviously it wasn't maybe commercially successful. actually, when you do listen back through to it, there's a lot of good songs on it, of which "Electric Barbarella is certainly one of them.
1: Yeah, I I love Midazoland. It's it's consistently up there in my probably top three Duran albums. Um, Yeah, I think it's so underrated. Uh, I I think they did some interesting, strange things on that album. Uh, And I think it's got a lot of just gems on it. Yeah, again, Electric Barbarella is one of those songs that I am always thrilled to hear.
0: And again, a couple of times I've seen them live that they've they seem to have embraced Medaziland or certainly that song as well. And it's always nice when you hear them playing it live. Now that's the that's the first two. And for <laughs> yeah. today, and, and <laughs> I, know
1: <you're,
0: laughs> I know you're saying that for today, what is what is number three?
1: Number three for today is Do You Believe in Shame? And that one is it it's one of the ones that probably within just the last decade has really shot up the list to my favorites Work when it came out I, I've always liked it. And that's another one that i I'm always very linked in visually. So uh, that's another one that that the video, the Chen Kaige directed video is beautiful for it. Um, But it's set in New York. It just I have strong memories of being in New York with it where it's it's a song about grief. And, uh, you know, that I gather that, you know, Simon apparently wrote it about the death of his friend. and The video very definitely uh, is about Simon and Nick and John going through a time of grief. And, and you have the kind of the visual cues with Nick that he's grieving Andy Warhol and everything. Um, I was living in New York. It's a video set in New York. Uh, I was grieving my mom and my dad had just died and it just doing a lot of wandering through Manhattan with that song running in my through my head. And just it just it really kind of speaks to me with that the, the lyric just that lately I've been so damn lonely when I think of you. And That's how I think of grief. And that's how I think of my mom and dad. Whenever I think of them, I'm just so damn lonely. So I think that song was really kind of capturing. um, I don't know that Duran Duran goes in for the that sort of emotion very often. But when they did for that song, for me, they really hit it.
0: I think as well for people, because I think that's when music is sometimes it's best that it can sometimes it can console you. Sometimes it can. Maybe just resonate with, as you say, resonate with you of of things that you're feeling and things that are going on with your life. And sometimes a song or a lyric, a melody or something just hits that that spot. That it's just the perfect song for that moment and those feelings. And that's when music really works for me. I think.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And also, I again, I think big thing is an album. That would be one of my favourite albums. I think that song is maybe my favourite song off the album, but I think that. That album is is right up there as uh, amongst my favorite Duran Duran albums.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh it's one like like Midazoland, I think it's overlooked a little bit just because it wasn't this big, you know, uh Duran Duran had come in coming off such high highs, and then uh big thing is it w- it was viewed as a disappointment. And it's like it's it just has some beautiful songs on it.
0: Cause that that was again, I've maybe it's allowed me to this podcast has allowed me to reintroduce myself to some of those album so things like Rio you kind of know it. in the first album you know off the back like the back of your hand but then being able to get back and listen to Big Thing and you know even driving well and listen to it and I'm thinking this is a, this is a brilliant album you know there's so many good songs on it but which sometimes you forget
1: yeah it must be nice uh, you're doing your podcast must be great for giving you not like you need an excuse but giving you that excuse to sit back and, and listen to just their entire body of work
0: the interesting thing I've found in, you know, like sometimes if you're listening to music or an album or a playlist or whatever, sometimes it's there, you're not you're not concentrating on it. It's there and you're maybe, you're almost, whatever else you're doing, you're dipping in and out of it. It's quite an interesting experience actually just sitting for 45 minutes an hour and just that's all I'm doing is listening to those songs and then maybe just taking me notes of what my instant reaction to them is. So it's quite a, it's a different listening experience actually.
1: I need to do more of that. Because as you say, I'm always multitasking, uh, listening to music while doing something, while writing or web surfing or house cleaning or whatever it is. And it is a different experience just listening to music where that's the only task, where your, your brain isn't occupied in any other way. And it's, it really helps me appreciate music, especially music that I've heard a billion times, in a different way. And it's something that I need to consciously do more often.
0: In terms of your, your own writing, actually, when you're, when you're busy writing or working on a novel, do you do that in complete silence or do you have music on as a soundtrack in the background?
1: If I do music, it will have to be something either instrumental or in a foreign language because if there's any lyrics I can identify, I start just paying too much attention and it pulls my attention. One trick that I've been meaning to play around with more because I tried it once and with some promising results is, this is apparently a good writer trick, is to pick one song that you just do on endless repeat uh, while you're doing your entire block of writing. And that seems to work. It can be even a song with identifiable lyrics. And after a while, it becomes background noise, just if you do it over and over and over again. But for the most part, I'll do instrumentals or Japanese pop is a really good one to have on in the background. <laughs> you know, Something like that where I can't consciously listen to the music, to the lyrics. Yeah.
0: Because I was curious, just in case you were listening to whether it was Duran Duran or something, and, and, and somebody's reading your book, and suddenly one of your characters in your novel starts quoting some Duran Duran. Language, <laughs> you know, that's what Morgan yeah, okay. was listening to, was just reading that.
1: I tend to work in Duran Duran references into all my books anyway, so.
0: Excellent. Because one of the things I, I'm a big fan, I mentioned already I'm a big fan of Scottish bands. Mogwai is one of my favourite bands, and again, they are, they are brilliant to write to, because there's very, very, very few of their songs have any Lyrics at all, but and obviously they do a lot of soundtracks for films, etc. So they're they're really good to have on in the background. And as you say, it's not it doesn't distract you, it doesn't sort of pull away your train of thought.
1: Yeah, music, the scores for for films are perfect to listen to when I'm writing. Is something big, and especially if it's big and bombastic and dramatic, as long as it's instrumental music, it will inspire me, but uh, not get in the way of writing.
0: Now, in terms of are you would you ever plan to write any more? Duran Duran essay type books? Or are you are you just focusing on your box of fiction?
1: I'm f- focusing on fiction. I loved writing the Duranalysis book, and I'm I'm proud of how it turned out. You know, it it didn't do very well, <laughs> so it's a labor of love, and I'm really glad it's out in the world. But I might have kind of tapped what I can do uh, in that vein. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, you know, forty years from now, we'll see if. yeah I can write the book that covers you know the next 40 years of Duran music
0: (laughs) that would be that would be remarkable if they're still going when they're (laughs) in centenarians but I mean I would say to anybody who's listened to this that obviously there'll be Duran Duran fans who are listening to this then I would certainly recommend your book Analysis, and you can pick that up online do you have a website or, or would it just be through the likes of Amazon
1: Yeah, uh, Amazon is probably easiest. I have my website is morganrichter.net and I have links that for purchase links. You can also um, ask for it in whatever your favorite bookstore is and they won't have it in stock, but they can order it for you and it'll usually come in a couple of days. So if you wanted to support a local bookstore instead of giving more of your money to Amazon, that's a good way of doing it.
0: Excellent. Well, regardless of how you find the book into your hands, then I I would absolutely recommend it. Sadly, we've just about come to the end of our, of our chat, Morgan. For today, I um, really appreciate that you chose those three songs. <laughs> well,
1: thank um, you.
0: And uh, it's been really lovely talking to you. As I say, I can't recommend your book highly enough. I just think for any Janan Janan fan, they'll, they'll absolutely love it. And um, I take it you're working on, as, as most writers are, there's always another project that you're working on. There's always another book that you're, you're constantly writing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, last week I finished the first draft of a new book, which is very exciting. So I'm taking a brief pause before starting the rewriting process. And I actually have a screenplay right now that's, that I've entered in the competition circuit, um, which is going on right now. So there's a, there's a lot of writing up in the air, but there's always some sort of project going on.
0: Well, I wish you every success with the writing. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to chat to me on the Juran, Juran Albums podcast.
1: Thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure and I'm so glad we got the chance to do this. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast and we hope you enjoyed the show.
0: If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better.
1: You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at AlbumsDuran or email us at DuranDuran at PaulCatahee.com.
0: Join us next time on the podcast and in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.